0: My name is Matt Wolfe, I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus, meaning we wanna help you follow Jesus, and for you in turn to help others, because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life, and the only path to eternal life, and we want you to experience that. So today, we are continuing our greater series with a second message called, Don't Drift. Don't Drift. And um, I, I love going to the beach. I especially loved it as a kid. Until I was seven, my family lived in California, so I always loved going to the beach. And even afterwards, we'd go back and visit. And one of my favorite things was being out in the waves, boogie boarding, hanging out with my cousins and just doing dumb stuff, splashing each other. But I remember being out there and it seemed like we were out there for hours. One of the most terrifying moments of my life. When you look back at the shore, and you don't recognize any of the chairs or people or umbrellas, you know what I'm talking about? Because what has happened? You've just slowly drifted because of the current of the water, just drifted down, to and you don't even realize it. As a kid, that's a terrifying moment to think, oh my gosh, where am I, how did this happen? Because I thought I was in the same place. That, that can happen, especially out in water, and it's not just that current along the ocean, but sometimes there's an undercurrent even pulling you out. Have you guys ever experienced this in the ocean? One time Melissa and I were on vacation in Florida in the Keys and we were out kayaking and we just heard this faint voice. And it turned out as we got a little bit closer, three teenagers had just been swimming in the water and they didn't realize this current had just pushed them further and further out to shore. And we were ways out there. And And now one of them could not swim back because he couldn't swim against the current, because it had just drifted him out there. And thankfully, we were there and heard him and we were able to bring him back to a little island where they could be rescued. But it was, it's a scary thing, right? Because if you just drift a little bit without you even recognizing it, you can be so far from where you're supposed to be. Drifting's a big deal. Drifting's a really big deal. So I'm going to challenge you because faith can be the same way. If you don't pay attention to look up within a few years, a few decades, you have drifted far from where you're supposed to be. So I'm going to challenge you today. No, no, I'm actually gonna warn you today. Don't drift away from Jesus. Don't drift away. We are all prone to drift. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's what one of the old hymns says because we are just prone to wander. Faith is a thing that like, if you just naturally leave it alone and and you don't think about it, don't work on it, you drift away from Jesus. Nobody, one theologian said, has drifted towards holiness. (laughs) Okay, we don't just naturally get better and grow in our faith. In fact, it's the opposite. I had someone tell me about marriage and I think it applies to faith too. Right before I got married, a mentor told me, he said, Matt, being married is like going up a down escalator. If you're not moving forward, you're always moving backwards. You don't stay in one place. I think that applies to faith too. We think that we're standing still and we look up at some point and we're like, oh my gosh, what happened? I drifted. So I'm going to warn you today, don't drift away from Jesus. And that's the word we're gonna hear from Hebrews chapter one. We're gonna be covering chapter one, verse five to chapter two, verse four. So you can open up your Bibles with me to that section of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Um, and if you missed last week, week one of our Greater series, that's okay. I know you're really sad about it, but you can go to risedenver.com slash media. You can find the video, audio, and the transcript of last week's message and catch up. It's okay. You're all right right here. You don't need to leave right now. Keep watching if you're online. Just catch up later. And um, we are going to be in the series, Greater, because we love the Christmas season. UK, we all like different parts of it. The presents, giving gifts, getting gifts, lights, going to the Christmas Eve service, 8.39 or 10.30. Uh... Um, sorry, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. I told you the wrong times. So I was just making sure you're paying attention. We all love all those different things around Christmas, but what we're, we're talking about is that there's something, someone even greater. And if you want that greater in your life, you need to find Jesus. And that's what the author of Hebrews is teaching us. So last week, we learned just in those opening four verses of this letter to Hebrews, the author, who is anonymous, we don't know who wrote it, but the author told us that Jesus is greater than all. That's what we, we saw last week, Jesus is greater than all, that Jesus is the king of all, that he is the creator of all, that he's all glory, all God, sustainer of all, that Jesus is the one who's the savior of all, and last but not least, we saw that he is greater than all. And we're going to pick that up in verse four because it sets us up for today's Message. So in verse four of Hebrews chapter one, if you have your smartphone, you can use the U Version Bible app, find our Rice Church Denver event. And in verse four, it says, So he became as much superior, greater than to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So after all those things we saw in those first four verses last week, it was talking about how Jesus is greater than all of everything. It ended by talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And from there, that's what he focuses on now for the rest of this chapter. That Jesus is greater than the angels. Pretty simple, right? Jesus is greater than the angels. If you're taking notes, that's the next thing that he's greater than. Jesus is greater than the angels. And if you're wondering, how does this apply to drifting? We'll get there, but you gotta bear with me for a little while. And it will make sense. So I want you to see in verse five now, as our author continues. He says, For to which of the angels... Did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? So what's the answer? None. None of the angels, our father in heaven, ever said that to them. Or again, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. To which of the angels did our father in heaven ever say that? None. But who did he say that to? Jesus. So what happens here from verses 5 to 13, our author actually quotes seven different Old Testament scriptures in a row. This is a a way that Hebrew teachers, Jewish rabbis would teach. It was called like a string of pearls. They would string together a bunch of scripture, and because he is a Hebrew person writing to the Hebrews, hence the title of this book, these people understood because that was their scriptures. It's just like me quoting the Bible. To those of you who know the Bible, you're like, oh yeah, I know that. This is their foundation that they understood, and he quotes these seven verses from Five from the Psalms, one from 2 Samuel, and one from Deuteronomy. And he strings them all together to say one message, that is, Jesus is greater than the angels. In this verse, or in these first two, it's from the Psalms and then from 2 Samuel 7, you may read those verses, and I encourage you this week, we're not going to go into all seven of these verses, but I encourage you to study these this week, because we believe here that every word of God is inspired and inerrant, but we don't ever always get to read every single word on a Sunday morning because we don't have time to go through everything. But it is, you should read it on your own. But in these first two, you, you may read it and you're like, hey, isn't that about King David? Yes. If you read it in context, that Psalm and 2 Samuel 7, God is literally speaking to King David and saying, hey, I'm gonna set you up as the king and on your throne you're going to reign forever, to King David. But here our author is quoting it in reference to Jesus. So here's the thing about the scriptures, the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said that, he said, the scriptures testify about me. When he walked with his disciples after he'd been resurrected on the road to Emmaus, he explained to them from the scriptures, from these Old Testament scriptures, how it's all about him. So, but man, I thought you said it was about David, yes. And about Jesus. There's a second fulfillment in God's holy inspired word of God that yes, is about David the first time, that first great king, but then there's a new king coming. Because if God says to that, you're you're gonna be my son, you're gonna reign forever, well, David died. So it can't be fulfilled completely in David. Then one came who was the son of David, a descendant, a great-great-great-great-grandson great great, great, great of David named Jesus, who rose from the dead and is seated on a throne forever. That's what we sing about in that new song, Gloria. Seated forever. He's on the throne. So Jesus is actually the true fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. It is all pointing forward to him. So our author now seven times is saying that, and he's saying specifically in this section that Jesus is greater than the angels. The climax, the the climactic verse here is, is in verse 13. So we're gonna skip ahead now to verse 13. Quoting now from Psalm 110, the author writes in verse 13, to which of the angels... Did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? What's the answer again? None. Jesus alone. Now, this is a great verse. It's actually the most quoted verse in the entire New Testament. It occurs 25 different times, five times just in the book of Hebrews. And Jesus himself picked this up. He was talking to the religious leaders of his day. Hey, he's like, remember back in Psalm 110, 1, where it says, sit at my right hand, Because that psalm actually starts out by saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And if you were a Jewish person, you're like, how does that make sense? How can the Lord God say to the Lord? Is it talking about David? That doesn't really make sense because David is a king, but he's not really like Lord, like God is Lord. How can the Lord say to my Lord? And Jesus is like, it doesn't make sense because you didn't know me. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord. So when the father the first person of the Godhead says to Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, sit at my right hand. He's saying that this son of God is equal with the father in heaven. And who is that about? Jesus. I like this. I'm hearing some answers from the front row. I like it. Jesus. And once again, Jesus is greater than the angels. And then in verse 14, this section is concluded. By saying, are not all angels ministering, meaning serving spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who are those who will inherit salvation? Us. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So what God is doing is saying, through, in here in Hebrews, he's saying angels are great. They're supernatural beings. But you know what their job is? To serve, to serve us. Jesus is the one we serve. He's higher than the angels. I wanna talk about angels for a minute and then we're gonna see as we jump into chapter two why this is so important because some of you are like, okay, great. Jesus is greater than the angels. Angels are something that we talk about a lot this time of year because if, if you read through the, the Christmas accounts, you know that there's this young teenage virgin girl named Mary and an angel comes to her and says, hey, you're gonna be pregnant with the Messiah. And she believes. She's like, okay, cool. She's amazing faith. That's why Mary is... An example for all of us, right? Amazing faith. But then Joseph, not so much. He finds out and he's like, "Mm, I didn't do that. And he's like, let's just end things quietly. He's nice. He's gonna end things quietly because he knows he's not the dad. But then in his dream that night, an angel, another angel, comes to him and says, you've got to marry her because that child is from God and that is the savior of the world, the Messiah. So then when they have the baby in Bethlehem, there's some more angels that appear, right? Because it was so amazing that the angels in the field nearby find some shepherds. They were the closest people probably to to the savior being born. He finds these these, uh, shepherds, these angels come and there's a whole host of angels, maybe tens of thousands of them all in the sky and they're singing. They're excited, they're worshiping. Glory to God in the highest. Why are they worshiping? Well, Peter tells us in his letter that for a millennia, the angels have been longing to look for the savior. They've been waiting and finally he's there. They're so excited and they're like, shepherds, get over there. You gotta go to Jesus. Because as great as the angels are, they know that one greater than them has come. They said, go find out the news that he has, the salvation that he brings. So angels are all over the Bible. And what they are, are supernatural beings. It says often that they probably look like humans when they appear to us. Abraham really didn't know that he was dealing with angels. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13 will say that some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Meaning we don't always recognize them because they look like human beings. So if you're like, I've never seen an angel. are you sure? (laughs) Just put that out there. And if you think about there being a supernatural God of the universe who created all things why wouldn't he create supernatural beings? If he created all of the different amphibians we have on our planet, there's some crazy frogs out there, right? You've seen some of these little poison dart frogs. You see those things and you're like, whoa, that's incredible. Okay, God created all those different types of frogs. Why wouldn't he create a whole bunch of type of supernatural beings? So they're called angels. The word angel in Greek means messenger. That's a good way to think of them. They're bringing a message from God. They're his servants. They do what he wants, his bidding. But there's also different types of angels. So I said that they look like human beings, but they are not human beings. And I hate to burst the bubble, but you will not become an angel when you go to heaven. Okay, that's not what the scriptures teach. And if you're like, well, ha- do they look like human beings or do they have wings? Well, actually, Isaiah has, saw some supernatural beings, perhaps angels in the throne room. There are cherubim and seraphim. Some of them have six wings and some have four. In the Bible, there's none with two wings, okay? Maybe there are, I mean, God's creative. There are also some we saw in our series in Daniel earlier this year. There are some called watchers and others called the holy ones. We don't know if they're all talking about the same thing or if they're different types, but God who creates all sorts of different creatures, why wouldn't he create all sorts of different angels? And all these angels, they are his servants. And all of them, though we don't see them, though they have power, Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, some of you are like, well, Matt, I'm a scientific person. I only believe what I can see. Well, that's ridiculous because even that statement right there, you can't see it. Um, But let's set that aside. Let's just for a second have an open mind because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a scientific person, right? What I would say is just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And I think that there's enough evidence in the scriptures and in our world to know that there are some supernatural crazy stuff out there. So let's just say, okay, maybe they're real. And what I would also say to you, because I have not personally seen an angel, though I've talked with some of you who have had encounters with angels. I have not, but I believe them. Do you know why? Because it's in here. And I believe what God says. Jesus talks about the angels. Um, Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, and in it he has a, a, a great little statement, and I wanted to read it to you. He said, I am convinced that these heavenly beings exist and that they provide unseen aid on our behalf. He says this, I do not believe in angels because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation from an angel. Impressive as such rare testimony may be. I do not believe in angels because UFOs are astonishingly angel-like in some of their reported appearances. I do not believe in angels because I've ever seen one because I haven't. He says, I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels and I believe the Bible to be the word of God, okay? So if you believe the Bible, you believe in angels. In fact, in the scriptures themselves, there are 273 different accounts that angels are referenced, okay? So they're in there. So that's why we believe in angels. But what we're learning today is Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. So, let me ask you guys, would you like to have an angel come in to church today? That'd be pretty cool. Like We'd all like to see that, right? That'd be amazing if they were flying around or with their six wings. Oh, that would be cool to see, wouldn't it? be cool to encounter someone and you're like, I knew that was a supernatural. That would be cool, okay? How much greater than is Jesus? If you're excited to see an angel, how much more excited you should be about Jesus? Because he's greater than the angels. So now that we have that established, it leads us to the important argument and the warning of chapter two. So so flip with me now to Hebrews chapter two, verse one. We must, it says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So we do not drift away. It is so important what we have heard about Jesus that we don't drift away. The word drift there, if we can pull that verse back up, it's a nautical term, right? And and especially in connection with the first phrase, pay careful attention. When those are combined, it's actually talking about a captain, that phrase, pay careful attention, what a captain would have done as he's coming into the harbor to pay careful attention. Because back in the first century, there were no motorboats, okay? If you're like not going and paying careful attention, you can't just be like, oh, let me just reverse a little bit and line up a little bit better so I can come into the dock, okay? If you've ever done that with a motorboat, you know what I'm talking about. You would have, in the first century, been powered by wind or by rowing. So as the captain is bringing the ship into harbor, they need to be very careful. Sometimes it was just a very narrow channel. There might be reefs or cliffs on either side. And they have to go the exact right speed. If they go too quick, they're gonna crash. If they don't go fast enough, they'll drift to the side and crash. It's a big deal. So ship's captain had to be really focused and pay careful attention so that they did not drift. Because what happens if they drift? Shipwreck. It's exactly the same language that Paul tells to Timothy. He says, we must pay them, or I'm sorry, if we can pull up uh, 1 Timothy 1. It says, clean Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been what? Shipwrecked. If you're not paying attention, if you're not clinging to Jesus Christ, you can shipwreck your faith and your life. So don't drift away from Jesus. Don't drift away from Jesus. Now this is important for us. Because like I said about faith, on your own, you drift. We all do. Students, I want to tell you some secrets. Okay, when you get out of the house when you're 18, when you go to college, your parents don't tell you what to do anymore. And even if they do, you don't have to listen to them. Okay, sorry, parents. And at first, when you're 18, you know, that's like the best news in the world, right? You're like, yes, finally, nobody telling me what to do. A few years later, you're going to be paying coaches and therapists to tell you what to do again. But for that little time, you're excited that nobody's telling you what to do. And then you'll find, with this, that on Sundays, nobody's waking you up to go to church. You might sleep in a little bit. And at first you're like, oh cool, cool. this is some cool freedom. Then you can go get brunch, you might stay out, you might intend to go to church on a Sunday morning but then you stay out late Saturday night till four in the morning, then you get some pizza at four in the morning and you're feeling gross, you fall asleep, ugh, I'm not going to church this week. Then a few months go by, then a few years. You haven't gone to church in a while. Then you graduate college and then you wanna focus on your career. And you're like, okay, I gotta work hard so that I can make money. Okay, and and that means sometimes working overtime, working on Sundays, that's okay. Once my career is established, then I'll get back into the faith thing. And then you meet someone that you really like. You fall in love and you're like, yeah, faith is really important to me. But then they're like, well, I wanna go to brunch. Okay, we'll go to church next week. We're going to brunch this week. And then you find yourself with kids a few years later. And then the kids start having sports and then the sports start having kids. Okay, this happens, right? Now there's clubs, there's competition, there's extra practices. All of a sudden you find yourself now decades removed and you're like, what happened? It's, it's not people making decisions to walk away the faith. That actually occurs very, very rarely if you look at statistically when people are surveyed. What happens for most people is they just get busy with life and they drift and they drift. There's not some big crisis, although that can push you even farther away. You just wake up one day and you realize, wow, have I drifted. Somebody after the first service was like, yeah, man, I drifted for 40 years. That happens. And you find yourself, wow, years ago, like I made the commitment, I went, went to church, I got, I got baptized I, at camp. I was like, I knew God was real, but, but now I'm not so sure. Because you've drifted. And what our author is telling us is that we can drift right into judgment. So what he tells us next. Look at verse two with me. He says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? What he's talking about, once again, writing to Jewish people, the Hebrews, he's saying, there used to be angels who came and gave you a message that we know as the law. If you read the account in Exodus of Moses going up on the mountain, angels aren't mentioned, but in Deuteronomy and in Psalms, it tells us there were angels there on the mountain. The angels were there when God gave the law and told his people, this is the message, this is how you should live. 10 commandments plus a bunch more. This is how you should do it. And to the Hebrews, they took that seriously. If they didn't follow the 10 commandments and do God's law, they faced punishment there would be judgment upon them and they would suffer the consequences. Some were earthly consequences. You broke certain laws, you'd get executed. But others, it would put you in the consequences of hell. And our author says, hey, if you listen to that message that was given through angels, how much more should you listen to the message given to us through Jesus, who is greater than the angels? And if Jesus came proclaiming a message, which he did, that said, believe in me, the kingdom has come and you will have eternal life. So if you don't listen to that message, how much worse and how much more severe will be the judgment on you if you don't listen to that? That's what he's saying. This is a warning, very clearly. Now, we modern people don't like warnings. We don't like judgment, we don't wanna talk about hell. We like a God of love, right? It's like, peace, love, dove, come on, guys, right? That's what we want, but let me tell you this. We have a God of love, and because he loves you, he warns you, because a good father warns his children. Same thing, this is, this is a pastor writing, uh, and they, they think Hebrews is actually probably first a sermon, but it was so good, they like wrote it up, and it, now it's scripture, okay? It's like the best sermon ever, maybe the, right after the Sermon on the Mount, okay? It's like second. But this is a pastor warning his flock. And I know about that because I'm a pastor and I wanna warn you about something, because I love you. In the same way, as a father, I know that sometimes I warn my kids because I love them. Our twins had their uh, birthday this week. And I think it was just coincidental, but a family in our church had a couple of those toy Jeeps, you know, that kids can drive. They had a couple of them that their kids had outgrown, so they gave them to us. So it was like the same week our twins turned four, so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And this is like their first time getting to drive, they were so excited, right? They're so excited to drive these Jeeps out and and we're on one of the courtyards in Central Park. So they're going out there and they're learning how to drive for the first time. Now, when they're out there driving on the sidewalk, if they drift into the grass, it's fine, right? They'll realize that they go a little slower and then they'll come back onto the sidewalk. They're learning. If they drift into the rocks, they'll get stuck and they'll learn and they don't wanna do that anymore. So I don't need to warn them about that kind of stuff, right? But when they get near the street, you better believe I warned them. I told them very clearly that first day, do not drive in the street. You can drive in the grass, you can drive on the sidewalk, but do not drive in the street. Be careful. You you have to keep your eyes out. Don't go in the street. Because if you go into the street, you could get hit by a car and die. Because I love my kids, I'm gonna be that clear with them. I'm going to warn them about certain dangers. Not because I'm mean, No, because I love them, right? How much more so our father in heaven? He knows we're gonna make some mistakes and we're gonna learn the consequences. He doesn't step in every single time, does he? But occasionally he's like, I need to give you this clear warning. You need to hear this. Hebrews is an interesting book because it actually has five warnings like this. A lot of people don't like them, so they skip the book of Hebrews but these five clear warnings and saying, watch out, be careful, and here we learn, don't drift because you might just drift yourself into judgment. Be careful. So I'm saying the same thing to you because I love you. Just drifting, just on your natural self on your own. If you're not paying attention, you will find yourself away from church, away from faith, and you might just drift your way into judgment. Now there's a big theological debate whether you can lose your salvation or not. And I'm just gonna be clear and I do not think you can lose your salvation. We say once saved, always saved, but what we actually say is once truly saved, always saved. I think there's a lot of people who think they're saved, but they just went along with what everybody else did. They raised their hand, they got in the water, camp they felt good. Jesus himself said at the end, there will people who have prophesied, meaning they've done ministry for Jesus. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Meaning it's if Jesus knows us, we need a one-on-one relationship with him. It's focused on him and that's what matters at the end. And if we don't have that relationship, yes, we should fear judgment. And that's why I'm warning you just as our author did. Don't drift away from Jesus. Hold fast to him, cling to him because there is good evidence to do so. If we keep reading in verse three, it says, this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So Jesus died. He rose from the dead for a period of 40 days. He appeared to some 500 different people and these eyewitnesses spoke and preached and this author would have heard it He was a second generation Christian. That's one of the reasons why we know Paul didn't write this because Paul was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. But these people testified to it, gave their lives to to proclaim this message that Jesus had risen from the dead. And it says in verse four, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Meaning there's all these miracles to confirm that God has moved in history. And then he gave each believer the Holy Spirit in them. and, And with that, we have the gifts like we talked about couple weeks ago, the spiritual gifts, God is working through us. And if you felt that you even have in your heart, some confirmation that Jesus rose from the dead and he is greater than the angels. But all this is pointing back to that warning, right? Jesus is greater than, than the angels. He has been confirmed by all these different evidences. So pay attention to him, listen to him, focus on him, cling to him. Don't wander. Don't drift away from Jesus. Look at verse one again. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Did you notice how he says we? Even the author of Hebrews preached one of the greatest sermons ever. He was in danger of drifting. That's why Paul said to Timothy, a young pastor, he's like, you might be firm in the faith right now, but be careful or you could shipwreck your faith. Every single one of us is prone to wander. That's what the old hymn said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We can all, if we don't pay attention, drift away from Jesus. And that's why his warning is so important for every single one of us. Let me tell you about two pilots. Um, the first pilot, you may know, you may remember this, a JFK Jr. On July 16th of 1999, he took off in his Piper Saratoga six-passenger plane with his wife and his sister-in-law in their plane flying from New Jersey. And um, it was just a short flight. And they had looked um, at the weather report just a couple hours before leaving, and the weather was supposed to be fine. But when they took off just at sunset, there started to be a dark, thick fog and gloom. They came and made it on a moonless night so that JFK Jr., the pilot, couldn't see anything. We don't know exactly what happened, but in that fog, in that gloom, somehow he lost his bearing over the ocean and crashed in the Atlantic, and he and his two passengers died. He couldn't see. He couldn't be focused. And that's really interesting because inside his plane, he had all the instruments he needed to fly, even though he couldn't see anything. He had a compass, he had a gyroscope, but he didn't trust it because he couldn't see it with his eyes. I talked with Brian Shoemaker, who's here this morning, this week. He's a a United pilot and, and pilot trainer. And I was like, tell me about this. And he said, yeah, if you look at it, JFK Jr. had 300 flight hours, but he wasn't instrument rated. He hadn't learned yet to read the instruments fully and to trust them. Because there are times like that where you get so disoriented, you can't see, you don't know up from down, and and even within your head, you don't know where you are. Another pilot I talked to after first service said, yeah, that happened to him, and it's so disorienting that he had to just stop and close his eyes and then focus on the instruments, on the compass, because your head doesn't tell you where you are. But JFK Jr. didn't trust the guide, and it cost him and his passengers their lives. Let me tell you about a second pilot by the name of Jimmy Doolittle. Jimmy Doolittle, in, on September 24th of 1929, took off in his um, little biplane and was the very first pilot ever to fly based completely on his instruments. They blacked out his windshield so he couldn't see anything. So with his eyes, he couldn't tell where he was, or what was going on. And he took off, flew for 15 minutes and landed completely safely by only trusting the instruments in front of him. He trusted his guide and he landed safely. And I think there's something so important for us in this, that if we're not paying attention to our guide, who is Jesus, we can get disoriented. We can drift and just like in a plane, this is our eternal life, this is a big deal. And if we drift, it could cause us to be shipwrecked, to be crash landed. So focus on Jesus, the guide. Always on him. We can trust him. He knows what's going on. Even if there's darkness around us, even if there's gloom, even if we go through the worst trials, we can trust him to always safely guide us. It's Jesus to focus on him. And if we don't drift from him, if we pay careful attention, we will make it safely to the end. So I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna challenge you. Two ways you can do this. Simple, worship weekly. If you make that a habit, You're always saying, hey, every week, I'm gonna hear about Jesus. Every single Sunday, we talk about Jesus here because we gotta focus on him. It's just a reminder and reminded by other people. Oh yeah, there's other people that believe this too. I'm not crazy. Worship weekly. The second thing is to dialogue daily with God. Just every day you're opening up his word to hear from Jesus and you're talking to Jesus. These are just two simple ways that you can stay focused, paying attention carefully to Jesus, to cling to him so that you won't drift away. And what I also wanna say, if you have drifted, some of you are hearing this right now and you're like, I've drifted, I'm drifting right now, man. Jesus loves you. In fact, he died for drifters. The night he was betrayed, he looked at Peter, his top dog. Okay, this is the first guy who knew that he was the Messiah and proclaimed it. He said, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. You're gonna drift? And Peter's like, nah, not me. And what happened? He denied him three times that night. But yet when Jesus rose from the dead, he made sure to get brunch with Peter. I don't know if you know about this story. He had some fish on the beach. And three times, Jesus asked him, do you love me? He did that to restore him, to restore drifters. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen or, or how far you've gone away, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter what sin you've fallen into or, or even unbelief and you said, I've had some doubts. I, I've walked away. It's okay, Jesus loves you and he wants you to come home. Come back to him today so that you will have this salvation from Jesus who is greater than even the angels. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you. I know all of us drift. Some of us have drifted a long ways. Bring us back to you. Help us cling to you and, t- t- and find you again. Now with eyes closed, I'm the only one looking. If you're here and you're like, Matt, I've drifted, or, or maybe I'm drifted right now, just put your hand in the air. I wanna say a pre- special prayer for you right now. Raise your hand up if you've drifted. Lord God, I see some of those hands and I just pray for those who have drifted and they're acknowledging it. They're like, yeah, I've strayed, I've drifted. Lord God, bless them. Draw them to yourself. Show them how much you love them and care for them. And let them feel again how real you are in your power, in your spirit. Draw them to yourself. You can put your hands down. Now, I also just wanna say, there's some of you who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been around so long that you're like, I don't even think I really believed at the beginning. But if today you're feeling convicted and you're saying, I, I, I do believe, I want Jesus to save me, then it's time to declare that Jesus is your Lord and your savior and receive his gift of forgiveness. So I'm gonna give you a simple prayer so that you can do that. So, so please repeat this prayer after me. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray this for the first time. Now, please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you, to cling to you, and to not drift for the rest of my life. And with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you and we actually have a little book that we wanna give you to encourage you on your next few steps of faith. So if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today is your Lord and Savior, put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three, put your hand in the air. Praise God, we're just so grateful. Um, Lord, let's celebrate with that person who made the decision today. And if you're online, go to risedenver.com follow. Um, Lord God, we are just so grateful that you save sinners. Every single one of us is prone to wander. And we need you to save us, to forgive us, to love us, to always welcome us back, no matter how far we've drifted. And we worship you, Jesus, you alone who are greater than the angels. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I'm Matt Wolf, lead pastor at Arise Church Denver. And we're all about helping people follow Jesus. And we wanna help you follow Jesus. Because of that, if you're newish, even if you're just checking us out online, go down below in the description and fill out that form at risedenver.com new. And if this message has impacted you at all, please go to risedenver.com give so that you can give back and help more people find out the message of Jesus Christ.